Hey, everybody. want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host, and I'm the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, which provides support and encouragement to those in ministry who are struggling, who need to navigate uh, decisions, who are just uh, perhaps just at a place in life where they need to talk. That's what Fruitful Vine Ministry does. Okay, one of my uh, <clears throat> excuse me heroes of the faith and go-to guys, uh, particularly in my devotions, is uh, the great pastor Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor in the mid-1800s in London, pastored a huge church, and I, I even have, in fact, this is something I show off to people that care when they come in my house. Uh, I have a, a first edition of his famous devotional book, Morning by Morning. Uh, you might know it as morning by evening, but uh, they they later added different things that he had put together in his devotions. But this is the original, and I'm always amazed when I read it. I read a ch- uh, page each morning for my devotions, and I'm thinking, hey, Charles Spurgeon might have actually held this copy in his hand or maybe gave it out to one of his parishioners. So uh, I'd love to get the entire set of his uh, a, a commentary on Psalms, the Treasury of David. It's a seven-set volume, and to get a good edition, it's two to three thousand dollars. So you won't find me uh, doing that anytime soon. You're not going to see that set on my shelf anytime soon. I can tell you that. Uh, but we have we have so much to learn from past spiritual leaders, and uh, but I'm not sure we really appreciate how uh, we're living off their legacy even today. That we, you know, it's building on the foundations of the apostles of Ephesians two talks about, and I think you can say that in in church history that we are who we are because of the previous generation and generations. Um, so this podcast is going to be a little bit different because we're going to talk about another well-known, famous, at least for a uh, number of people. Uh, a great leader from the past who probably has had more impact on the church in America than anyone else in other than force in our Lord Jesus Christ. And his name is Jonathan Edwards, the famous pastor theologian from the early 1700s. Yes, that Jonathan Edwards who preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, in fact, I'd really recommend that you you get that. It's, it's in a booklet form now. Powerful, really powerful. Uh, But I think it's important for us to understand the impact that men like Jonathan Edwards had in in our nation and the church today, Uh, but also look at the kind of pastor that he was and the lessons that we can learn from him. Well, I have the honor of having someone uh, on this podcast helping me out with that. He has studied Jonathan Edwards extensively, done a uh, master's project on, on Jonathan Edwards and his name is Daniel Stegman. And in the past year, uh, we have become really good friends. We've yet to meet each other, but have talked a lot about many issues in our denomination, many issues of theology and doctrine. Uh, Daniel Stegman, who has a D-Men, is pastor of Pine Glen Alliance Church in Lewiston, Pennsylvania. Uh, Daniel and his wife, Stephanie, are the proud parents of four children. 
and he's an extensive writer. I'll put uh, his, the link to his uh, blog site. It's uh, pastoraltheology.com, www.pastoraltheology.com. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into that conversation we had together on the life of Jonathan Edwards. All right. I have the privilege to be interviewing uh, Pastor Daniel Stegman. I, I keep saying Stegman, but I'm correct. Or I actually asked him to pronounce, to pronounce it correctly. And uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being part of the Before You Quit podcast today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Absolutely. This is our second try at this. First time we weren't getting good reception. So it sounds like things are are really smooth here. Hey, we're, we're doing something uh, really interesting here. It's, it's a little bit, uh, I mean, I, it's certainly unique in, in what I've been doing in these podcasts. We are going to be talking about the uh, pastoral lessons that we learned from uh, the great preacher and theologian, Jonathan Edwards. And so let, let's start with this. Give us a, a summary uh, of who you are, a little bit of your journey and what you're doing now. And I always like to ask this question, what matters the most to you? What drives you? And then let's go ahead and talk about Jonathan Edwards, because he's been a, a guy you've been studying a lot, and I believe also patterning some of your ministry on, on his life and teaching. Trying to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm a pastor, and I've been at Lewistown Alliance Church for almost a year and a half. I got there right before the pandemic uh, when everything shut down. Um, I've been a pastor for 13 years now. Just a huge privilege. Uh, I love it. You know, there's challenges, obviously. Um, but also, I am married to Stephanie. Um, actually, it's it's our anniversary today. Or yeah, yeah. Congratulate. I, I'm, I'm surprised you're doing this interview today. She must be... Uh... You're, you're maybe you've given her a gift of some free time. We're, we're going on vacation next week. So, oh, cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and we have, we have four children, uh, twin daughters. They're 11. John is nine and Jeremiah is six. Um, so they keep us busy. Um, actually we're a homeschooling family. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's a challenge, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, and I, I guess an, another thing that I like to tell people is I grew up in Canada, in Western Canada, in Saskatchewan. That's one of the, the, the prairie provinces. And my family still lives there. My parents, my two sisters, um, we don't make it back nearly enough. Um, but that's where uh, my roots are. And like I said before, I've been a pastor for 13 years now. Uh, huge privilege. I'm trying to get back into golf. I golfed last week. Actually, it's been about a week and a half and uh, a little rusty, but, but yeah. that's a hobby that I'd like to, to get back into. Yeah, you know, when, when I lived in England and we left in 98, I was obsessed with golf. I would, I would go out a couple times a week, you know, in the summer there, it gets light at like four in the morning and I go out, I would go out with guys and I, I got pretty good. And then when we moved to the States, I, I didn't golf and I tried to pick it up again, like 15 years later. And it was like, I never had played in my life. In fact, I don't, I think people started doubting whether I'd ever played in the past. <laughs> it's, a, it's a frustrating game. I prefer tennis. I feel like I've been able to get my tennis game back a lot quicker than my 
my golf game. Yeah. Golfing in England. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was. Yeah. 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 In, in the rain and, and rarely in the sun, but uh, yeah, great way to spend time with guys. I found it as a, you know, a great uh, opportunity to hang out with guys who weren't believers and, yeah. So, yeah, well, the, what uh, what matters to you and what drives you? And then maybe we can segue from that to our main topic today. Sure. Yeah. What, what drives me is the word of God. Mm. Uh, I love the word, uh, love preaching it, love teaching it, studying it and, and Lord willing, living it uh, in a growing way. So I, I want our church to love Christ. I want our church to to love the word of God and, and obviously the same for our family. Mm. Uh, so if, if there's one way that I could answer that question, it's the word of God. That's yeah. that's what drives me. Yeah, I love that. When people ask me, in fact, my son asked me a few months ago, Dad, what matters to you the most? Uh, I, I, I said the gospel. You know, it's mm. just the, the older I get, just the simplicity of what the gospel is all about. And, uh, and that really did characterize Jonathan Edwards' life. You, you did a, um, a, th- a thesis or paper on it for your master's, I believe. Um, and I've been reading a biography about him. A guy I really have not, I've known a lot about, but never really studied or read his stuff. And so you've introduced me to, to that. And it's, it's been fascinating. And I, I think this, this podcast interview is really going to open up people's eyes to you know, so the legacy of such a great man. But t- tell us a little bit about that journey, uh, how you fell into this study. And uh, maybe what we need to do, too, is explain who he is. Not everybody's going to know who Jonathan Edwards is or was. Yeah, he's he's most known for, for preaching one sermon. Yes. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yeah, that's that's the one. And that's the one that's that's been anthologized in high school textbooks. And yeah. um, not so much recently but but for centuries that's where people got their introduction to Jonathan Edwards mm-hmm. um, he's he's often called America's greatest theologian sometimes even America's greatest philosopher so he wrote some some big treatises big textbooks on philosophical issues um, books that ordinary people are not going to read um, but but I think the big thing here is, first and foremost, Jonathan Edwards was a pastor. Mm-hmm. That's what he spent his life doing. He served in colonial America. So he lived from 1703 to 1758. And, and you think about how new America was at that time. In fact, still under under British control. Right. Yeah. yeah and he saw himself as as a British citizen, just like yeah. everyone else. Um, but he, he played a huge role in the first great awakening. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, that was like the greatest revival in American history and him and George Whitfield and others, they, they played a big role in that. But what's interesting, even though he had great success as a pastor and a revivalist, after 20 some years of serving his church, they kicked him out. He, he got booted out of his church. And so I, I've always found that really interesting. There's a whole story behind it. Um, I won't get it, into it that. Was the but church from there, he went. It uh, was the church that his father in law pastored as well, right? 
It was actually his grandfather. Grandfather. Daughter. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He pastored the church and, and he was there for like almost 60 years. He was revered. Uh, he Edwards had big shoes to fill and he was actually able to fill them um, until he kind of went against some of his grandfather's practices and, and um, nobody really forgot his grandfather. Um, so anyway, he, he got kicked out. From there, he went to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, which is actually further into the frontier. That was the frontier back then, mm -hmm. Massachusetts. Uh, and he was like a missionary pastor to the Indians. And, and he, he was there for like six or seven years. He had more time to, to write. He wrote some, some great books like uh, Freedom of the Will. And, and he really enjoyed his time there, but then he got called to, to go and serve as the president of Princeton University. He didn't want to go, um, but he, in the end, he decided to go, and he was only there just two or three months before he died. He actually took a, I think it was a smallpox vaccination, and he died from that. So he was only like 54, 55 years old. Uh, and he probably could have served, I mean, I, who knows, but he, it seemed like he was pretty young to die. Yeah, he was a, yeah, in his 50s, yeah. How tempting it would be to talk about vaccinations right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, and, and, and also when you talk about him being at Princeton, you know, we, we have to be reminded that those universities started out as Christian universities and, you know, no longer, obviously, but the roots uh, stem back to people like Jonathan Edwards. That's it's just phenomenal to see how much changes in a, in a couple centuries. Yeah, yeah, his, his father and his grandfather, they both went to Harvard. He went to Yale when Yale was extremely young. And then he ended up being the, the, the president of Princeton. Mm -hmm. They all, like you said, they all had those, those biblical foundations, um, which of course they've long deviated from. What, so, so your, your interest was, again, we, we know him as a theologian, a writer, the author of that, that, uh, one classic, uh, I've got a question about that a little later. I'm going to tell you a little story about it as well, which was sure. interesting, but you, you discovered him as a pastor, um, what was it, the, the one thing that you sort of walked away from and, and admired the most about him as a pastor that, uh, as you look back, was, was most significant? Sure. Well, before I answer that, could I um, answer the question uh, that you asked earlier, how mm -hmm. I got into this, yeah. to this study? Um, I remember back in seminary, I was taking a church history class and the professor, he was doing a class, I think it was on the Great Awakening, something like that. And, and he, he recommended the biography that you mentioned by George Marsden. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Jonathan Edwards, A Life. And he said, he, he told everyone in the class, you need to read this biography. So afterwards, I, I went and I talked to him. and I said, why do we need to read this? Uh, there's mm -hmm. a lot of good biographies out there, even on Jonathan Edwards. And all he said to me is, you just need to read it. Mm -hmm. So I, I was kind of like, okay. Um, so I kept that in mind. And it wasn't until years later 
when I started into this doctor of ministry program, uh, that it was one of our textbooks for, for our first year. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, this is a, a good excuse to read this book, uh, which I've kind of wanted to read for a long time. So I, I read the book, read the biography, loved it, and, and just kind of fell in love with, uh, with Jonathan Edwards. Um, and then when, it, when I started into that program, um, my professor, Garth Roselle, uh, he really encouraged me to, to continue to study Edwards and, and maybe even do something for my uh, thesis, my dissertation. And so I, I, I had some other ideas as well, but I thought that kind of clinches it. If the professor is suggesting that I study Edwards, um, then I need to study him. But I didn't really have um, a, a track or a, um, a focus uh, for the life of Edwards until I actually went to, um, to Yale University. That's where the Jonathan Edwards Center is. And I was able to meet with, uh, with another guy. He's kind of like the, one of the Edwards gurus. Mm -hmm. um, his name's Ken Minkima. I love to say that, Minkima. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he, he pointed me to these ordination sermons that Edward, Edwards preached. And, yeah. and I studied yeah. like nine of them. I think there's there's more than that, um, but that that really narrowed my research. And yeah, and, and these were these were sermons he would preach at young men's ordination services. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how I I got onto this study, and um, and I, I just loved it. Um, I graduated six years ago uh, with that D Men program. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I've tried to continue to, to study Edwards here and there uh, ever since I graduated. Um, and he's, he's just a, a fascinating uh, character and a great model for ministry. Mm -hmm. you um, and that was, that was, that's what it, what it was called, my research, the pastoral theology. Yeah. yeah. Was he known Edwards. back then more as a pastor than as a, a theologian? How, how was he perceived? I, I think he was known more as, I mean, everybody knew he was a pastor, mm -hmm. but he, he was known more as a revivalist. Um, so he wrote as, as his church and, and pretty much all of New England was going through these, these awakenings, these revivals, mm -hmm. he would write accounts of them. And, and he actually sent them over to the UK and, and they were published. I think Isaac Watts was involved in that. Mm -hmm. And so he really became known for that. Um, and even he, his book, um, the, the life of David Brainerd, mm -hmm. which is basically David Brainerd's, um, diary, his, his accounts of, of serving as a missionary in frontier America that became extremely popular and, and even influential. A lot of people went to the mission field from, from reading the life of David Brainerd. Mm. Um, so I would say it wasn't until later that he became known more as, as a philosopher. And yeah. well, of course, when you're a prolific writer, those are things that are preserved, you know, through the decades and centuries. Right. Uh, yeah. But from what I've read here, here's a guy who pastored, you know, local church. And, and if you probably asked him what mattered to him the most, it, it was shepherding. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, let, let's get a um, uh, little bit more into this. Um, he he had such a high view 
of the pastorate. In fact, he, it was a high calling to him. And uh, he also used the term uh, in reference to a pastor that the pastor was a co-worker uh, with Christ. I, I love that. To reflect a little bit on what you gained as you, as you were drawn into this, uh, you know, the, the promoting the pastor role as something that is very special, very unique, and, and a high calling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this is not just another job. You know, this is not mm-hmm. just some, some nine to five thing. Uh, I remember hearing about this, this one pastor. He took a personality test and, and from that he gleaned or he, he thought he might be a good fit for the ministry. So mm-hmm. he became a pastor. Uh, <laughs> well, Edwards would be horrified at that notion. Um, he would actually, Edwards would actually argue that to be a pastor is the highest calling in the world. Mm. And he would say that because it's, it involves the care of souls. So just think of a, a doctor, a physician. It's universally acknowledged that they have an important job because it's, it's the care of bodies. Mm-hmm. But a pastor treats the soul. And that's why it's so important. And, and, and that whole notion of the pastor is a coworker with Christ. Yeah. We yeah. get to serve alongside Christ. So this is, this is a high calling. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I love that. And, and he, uh, he refers to the chief aim of ministry as the salvation. And uh, there are really two aspects from what you wrote uh, that really, really impacted me. Um, I wish I wish I'd, read more of his stuff. Uh, I'm a big Spurgeon fan. I've been reading everything by Spurgeon, you know, for, for several uh, years or maybe a decade or more. And Amen. it sounds like Edwards is, is a guy that I need to get to know, like I've done Spurgeon, but he, he talks about the um, uh, chief aim, two aspects to it, salvation and edification of the soul, and then the journey to heaven. Uh, you know, so it's, it's really, it's ministering to people now, but preparing them for heaven. And um, I, I like that. In fact, in second Corinthians 12, 15, Paul writes, I, I most gladly, I, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what would it take um, to get back to that? What, what would Edwards react to, to, the, to today if he saw the priorities of ministry uh, in, in the life of the pastor and the church. Yeah. Well, I, as I look at the landscape and and even as I, uh, in my own experience today, pastors are kind of like, um, managers, they're promoters, they're therapists. That's, that's how we tend to function. And, and it's not so much that that's what we want, but there's, there's this pressure that's being placed on the pastor and we call, we kind of fall into that role and that's not biblical. You mm-hmm. know, you don't really see that in scripture. I mean, yes, we are called to motivate people, but we do it through the preached word of God. Um, so I, th- I think when, when you have that foundation and you see that it's all about the salvation of souls and he, and he used that phrase mm-hmm. over and over in these ordination sermons, uh, it's really freeing. It, 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 and it helps you to, to, to channel your energy, your focus. I'm in the business of saving souls and not just, um, 
getting people to pray a prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, it's not about statistics. It, this is about true conversion. Um, and like you said, it, it's not just um, the saving of souls past tense, but the saving of souls present tense, um, that, that present work, you are being saved. It, it, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, it uses that kind of language. Um, so the, the pastor uh, is helping his people, his parishioners, as they get ready for heaven, as they journey towards heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're coming alongside, we're, we're co-workers with Christ. And that's a big departure from, from a lot of what you find in, in contemporary ministry paradigms. Yeah, again, what would, what would you, I mean, this is so speculative, uh, but it's fascinating to reflect on this. What, what, would he, what would be the one thing he would react to the most now? Because we do, you know, you, we, we hear, you and I have talked a little bit about the whole soul care movement, which is a real popular thing, spiritual formation, personal health. So, you know, it's about the soul. How different is that than the kind of thing he was out to do in, in terms of, of guarding and protecting and, and, uh, and, and serving, spending himself for the soul of others? Well, I think what you see today is people are being um, called to, to look inwards, mm-hmm. to, to find their salvation. You know, there, it, if you're going to overcome this or that, whatever you're struggling with, um, if you're going to be healed from your brokenness, then you, you, you somehow need to look within. And, and again, Edwards would totally reject that. Um, you need to look without, you need to look yeah. to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so it's, he, he would have us focus on Christ from start to finish. It, it's kind of, yesterday I was preaching a, a sermon from Matthew 17, the transfiguration on Jesus only. Uh, and, and I just loved it because you, you, can't, you can't escape it. It's all about mm. the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, it's, it's, there's such a focus on the self. It's all about me or even worse, it's all about the pastor. And so the, the pastor, rather than promoting Christ, he's promoting himself and, and how good he is and, and seeking to build a, a platform. Edwards would totally reject that. Yeah, he, he would not be a popular fan of the, the, the whole spiritual formation movement as we're seeing it today. Uh, and I agree with you, you know, the, the, the goal of spiritual formation is to look within yourself and and kind of take a journey in there to meet God. Uh, well, I, you know, last time I checked when I looked in my heart, it's, it's just, you know, kind of not in good shape, you know, it's, it's rotten, it's full of sin. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've not met God by looking in my heart, but looking outwardly uh, to him and, and to what he did on the cross and what the gospel, the essence of the gospel is that he, uh, you know, I, I use this phrase a lot that there's a trade that took place at the cross. I gave him my sin. He gave me his righteousness. And, um, and I, he's on the throne. He sent his Holy Spirit. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it would be really fascinating to even isolate that whole area of spiritual formation and, and what people are saying about that now and look at some great men like Spurgeon and, yeah. and, uh, um, 
Jonathan Edwards and John Owens and people like that. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yes. I think another thing is Edwards really preached heaven and, and the glories yeah, of yeah. heaven. You know, he, just like Jesus, he made heaven sound really, really good and, mm-hmm. and hell sound terrible. Really, really <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a place that you want to go to. Whereas today the, the focus is, um, on the here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just on the self, but it's, it's on the here and now. And, and, and sure, I mean, Jesus prayed thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, but the focus is always on um, that life to come and living mm-hmm. out the, the, the fullness of that life. Um, so I think we need to, we need to be careful that our, our preaching reflects what we find in scripture. And that we really, you know, we want people to see the the beauty and the cl- the glory and the power of Christ, um, and, and also the danger of hell. I mean, I've got I don't know if we've got time. I've got quotes here. Um, of course, they're a little on the long side, but where he talks about hell. Yeah, I mean, give us give us maybe some of the lines from that, and and as you look for that. Uh... I think you summed it up. His preaching included both the glories of heaven and the miseries of hell. There was that, there was that balance there. It's, it's like law and gospel preaching that we, we have to be, you know, a full gospel preaching is that we're reminded we're sinners, the law, that's the law. And, and the gospel points us to a savior. Um, and, and Jesus is, and I know we were over probably over generalizing when we say today, because there are so many people I think that are, seeking to do it right. Uh, but I, I get the sense sometimes that we view Jesus as our life coach right. as opposed to our savior. And you can tell listening to preachers how they view Christ. In fact, my wife and I were talking about that yesterday after church, that uh, you're either going to hear about me or you're going to hear about Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, uh, but yeah, give, give us uh, some samples of, of what you've... Sure. Okay, it says, here's one quote. In like manner should ministers travail for the conversion and salvation of their hearers. They should imitate the faithfulness of Christ in his ministry, in speaking whatsoever God had commanded him, and declaring the whole counsel of God. They should imitate him in the manner of his preaching, who taught not as the scribes, but with authority, boldly, zealously, and fervently, insisting chiefly on the most important things in religion being much in warning men of the danger of damnation, setting forth the greatness of the future misery of the ungodly. So you, you can see how that's, that's different than today. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't preach like that, but I do, <laughs> I do remember one time where there was a lady, she came up to me after church and she, she said, you mentioned hell in your sermon. And I said, Yeah. And she said, well, I'm never coming back again because you mentioned hell. Hmm. And so there's most people aren't like that, but yeah. but some people yeah. think that that you should never you never have permission yeah. to mention hell in in a sermon. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do a good bit of pulpit supply. And several years ago, I was I, I noticed that I wasn't asked back to this particular church. And it had just been a regular routine, you know, pastor's gone. He would ask me to preach. And I finally asked him about it. And he said there was a couple that 
had come to him at his office and said, if Mitch preaches again, uh, we're going to leave the church. And um, so it, you know, it was good to know. I, I sensed something, there, was, there had been a reason for me not being asked back. But that sermon that I preached on was on, on the wrath of God, which was in the text. And, and it talked about, you know, how we are under God's wrath. And, and that just, it was disturbing to people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure it was for Edwards, you know, back in his time. Uh, let's talk a little bit about it, that, that famous uh, sermon, which uh, is available today, by the way, as, as small booklets. It doesn't really take long to, to go through it, uh, but it's uh, when uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, my son was in 10th grade and was attending a public school. And in his English class, that as they were studying history and literature, um, that sermon was was referred to as a, you know kind of despicable and and horrible right. and a bad reflection of that time and and my son came back came home he said dad you know there's this guy that preached this terrible sermon and <laughs> I said Brett that's one of the best sermons ever preached so I gave him a copy of it and and he read it and it's like yeah this is powerful you know yeah. I mean it's, it is disturbing what's the essence of it. Um, Sure. Yeah. So he actually preached that sermon at his own congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, I think it was 1741, uh, right at the, the start of the Great Awakening. But it, it didn't really have much of an effect upon his church, upon his listeners. Well, he was, he was invited to preach at another church down in Connecticut, Enfield, Connecticut. He did that a lot. He traveled around um, to other churches. And he, he preached this sermon, and it just had an unbelievable effect on the congregation. Mm. And in fact, he didn't even finish the sermon because people were crying out. They were on the floor. Um, you know, we would, we would call that very charismatic today. But yeah, was, we'd, be, we'd be worried today. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he preached this sermon, and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's full of vivid images. Mm -hmm. You know, he describes like um, this spider that's dangling over the pit of hell. And, you know, it's, it's only the, the grace and mercy of God that, that keeps it from falling into mm -hmm. the pit. And, and it's almost like, as you read through it, it's almost like you can, you can sense it. You can almost see it, mm -hmm. um, even though you're just reading the sermon. So it was, it was very, very powerful. And it does actually the sermon, if you look closely at it, it's not just hellfire and brimstone. Mm -hmm. you know, there is that plea to. Oh, certainly. Oh yeah. Christ. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It says, it's like we often urge people, you know, the most loving thing to do is to tell someone uh, what their problem is and so right. you can point them to, to a savior uh, why, why was the sermon preached at his church not received in the way that it was at the other church? It was the same sermon, right? Same sermon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's a great question. That's, it's just the, the mysterious working of God. Hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if there's, there's really a good answer for that other than, you know, this is, this is the guy that we've been listening to for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's here he is again talking about hell. Actually, that's that's not really fair. He talked a lot more about heaven mm -hmm. than he did about hell. But he wouldn't like you said, he wouldn't shy away from it. If it was there in the text, 
he would preach on hell. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's funny. It's, it's, the, the verse that it comes from is, is this obscure verse in Deuteronomy. I think it's like Deuteronomy 32, 35. Um, you, you'd have to look it up. But that's often what he did. It, and, and that's what Spurgeon would do as well. Take mm -hmm. one verse or half a verse, and then you would have this um, hour or hour and a half sermon that's just masterful. Um, Edwards preached longer than Spurgeon. I think Spurgeon was mm -hmm. more like maybe 50 minutes, but Edwards was, if he preached an hour, that would be a short sermon. Yeah. So that was pretty typical for the Puritans. They went long. Yeah. yeah. Really it's, long. Like, it's like John MacArthur. That's what he does. Yes. Easily over an hour. Yep. Well, he, he, yeah, he was also deeply committed to the, to the gospel uh, and even to the point of assuring that there was always reference to the gospel in each, in each sermon. And I, I found that fascinating. That, that's something I committed to some, some years ago. Um, let's talk about his commitment to prayer. Um, now, he was, he was a Puritan, and the biography I'm reading uh, by Edwards is, is he, had, uh, he was a guy who, who placed a lot of expectation on himself uh, to be holy, to be disciplined, to be ordered. And, um, and he, um, you know, it, it, it led to depression and anxiety. There's not a lot of specifics given to us on that. He faced also a lot of temptations and, you know, he fought sex or sexual urges, which, uh, you know, obviously is, is a common struggle for, for us as humans. Um, but his, his devotion to prayer, um, I wonder if it came out of his need to, uh, you know, that fit that routine, that order, that high expectation. How, how do you reflect on the man when you listen to his emphasis on prayer and also his practice on prayer? Sure. Yeah, well, there, there's a really famous quote one of his early biographers said that Edward spent 13 hours every day in his study. Mm -hmm. And so that, that kind of contributed to his reputation as, as this theologian that all he was ever doing was studying and writing um, ivory tower kind of guy. Um, that's not really totally accurate. Yes. I mean, he was extremely committed to, to study. And I mean, he wrote a ton. The mm. works of Jonathan Edward is something like 70 volumes. Um, I mean, what, what else does a guy do back then? You know, Netflix is <laughs> there and <laughs> no TV, no phones and chop wood. Yeah. Yeah. But so he, he had that reputation, but I would say he was very committed to, to prayer mm. and to the practice of godliness. Uh, he had, Another thing that he's, he's famous for is these 70 resolutions that he made when he was yeah. something like 19 or 20. And he's got all these, um, these resolutions uh, where he's, he's committed to, to serve the Lord. With yeah, these are personal, personal resolutions for himself. Personal resolutions. Yeah. Um, he wants to serve the Lord with every fiber of his being with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's really fascinating to read those, those resolutions, but mm -hmm. yeah, he was very, very committed to prayer. So like a lot of the other Puritans, um, he would get up very, very early, like four or five in the morning 
and just think of winter back in New England, yeah, in the 1700s. It had to be cold. I'd rather not think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Living in Georgia, yeah, yeah, nine, 98 degrees here today. Wow, wow. So he 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 often cited the example of of Christ mm-hmm. who got up, who rose early to pray to get alone with with God. He said, "A prayerless pastor." is a powerless pastor. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you cut yourself off from prayer, then essentially you're cutting yourself off from God. Um, How are you personally challenged by that? How, how has his example of prayer personally impacted you? Well, I think for me, and I'm sure a lot of pastors can relate to this um, in, in the midst of a busy schedule, what's the first thing that, that gets crowded out. Mm-hmm. It's it's your time of prayer, mm-hmm. or or even time in the Word. And, and for Edwards, it was non-negotiable. It was the first thing he did in the morning. I mean, he would spend time in prayer, sp- spend time in the Word, and then they would maybe have like um, uh, some family time. He had a big family, and and so they would they would also spend time in the Word together. Um, but for me. I, I always feel that that sense of pressure. I got to get this done. Got to get that done. Uh, and so, for when I think of Edwards, I'm really challenged to 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 not let prayer get crowded out. To make that a priority, um, and and to kind of try and push aside all the distractions, the to do list, and just really focus on mm-hmm. prayer. Yeah, there was a book written some years ago by someone who I wasn't a big fan of, but it was a great title of a book called Too Busy Not to Pray. And one of the, one of the things Edwards uh, yeah. was committed to also was to pray fervently for his people. Uh, and, and just that, that shepherd heart led to, uh, you know, a commitment to, to battle for them. He, 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 re, he used the term watchman, that pastor's like a watchman, um, how, how did you, what did you reflect on there? Um, you know, to put that, that's a, sure. that's a pretty high responsibility to put on a pastor that you are a watchman for your people. It really, it really renewed my, my, uh, my perception of the pastor that there is a lot on him, a lot on your shoulder as a pastor, uh, to look out for your people to, you know, because we, even this idea of coworker was with Christ, you know, we use phrases like I'm serving Christ and, you know, we defer the deeper stuff to the Holy Spirit, but man, it's, I'm reminded when I was reading your paper and then some other stuff by Edwards that you've got a, a, a unique responsibility for your people here. Yeah. So how, how, what did you walk away from? Yeah, well, that, that was another big takeaway. Um, I think you just go back to this metaphor of the pastor as a shepherd. And of course that's biblical and, and when you think of the shepherd, you think of the shepherd protecting the sheep. That's a big mm-hmm. part of what the shepherd does. The shepherd feeds the sheep, obviously, but he also protects the sheep. And so Ed- Edwards would say, he, he would remind these young pastors at, at these ordination sermons that we're in the enemy's country. Mm-hmm. And, and we have an enemy. He hates you. He hates your people. He wants to just destroy you. And so we need to be on the lookout. And, and so first you have to watch yourself. Uh, Spurgeon talked about the minister's self-watch. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Edwards didn't really use that kind of language, but it's, it's, it's similar. You know, you've got to watch yourself. You have to watch your doctrine closely Mm -hmm. um, so that, that you're in good shape, good spiritual health so that you can watch over your flock. Yeah. And I mean, you just, you just look at the world around us. There's so many um, influences. People are getting so many different messages Um, even, you know, from quote unquote, Christian sources like TV and radio and, and podcast. And some of those um, influences are good, but some of them are not. Mm-hmm. And, and Satan is using those bad influences. So the, the pastor really has a big responsibility as, as a watchman or as, as a protector. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he placed a lot of responsibility on his people as well. So as he as he gave uh, to them, he expected a lot of them as well, which I I thought was really uh, really cool. <laughs> that you know here here's a pastor that uh, you know I'm I'm watching out for you, but I'm I'm also expecting you to pursue Christ and and to uh, uh, to live holy lives in this world and. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, these are, these, these were just inter- interesting reflections on the man as a pastor. Um, cause we don't, we don't often think of him as that. Well, one um, of the things that I found really interesting was at the end of pretty much all these sermons, he had this section where he really challenged the congregation and, and he said, you need to support your pastor. Yeah. Yeah. You need to do everything that you can to, to be a blessing to your pastor. Um, rather, than, you know, the worst thing that you could possibly do is to stand against the pastor because he is he's God's anointed. Um, I don't think he ever used that kind of language, but that's mm-hmm. that's the idea. Yeah. So you need to do everything that you can to support your pastor um, and, and be a blessing to him. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, 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 I I talk to uh, on these podcasts. I, I I always refer to the audience as being the the people in ministry and those who love ministry. And so I know there's people who listen to this who who love their pastor, care deeply for their pastor. And uh, you know we're reminded in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so that that just it's it's a high regard and. And, and respect for the pastor. Um, he defines the high calling for yeah. the pastor. It's also a high calling. Yeah. Sorry, Mitch. I was no, just going to say it's there. a high calling for the pastor, also a high calling for the congregation yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, how did he define success? Success for Edwards was always about faithfulness. Mm-hmm. So you, you think t- today, you know, let, let's move ahead 300 years. And today, when people think about success, they, they think about the three B's. They think about buildings, butts in the seats. They think about the budget, those things that are really quantifiable. Um, and, and again, for Edwards, that's not what it's about. For him, it's all about being faithful to your commanding officer. So he's given us the charge. We are to, to follow in the footsteps of Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep. And, and if we're faithful, then 
God will honor that, but, but not necessarily honor it in the sense that, that our church is going to grow and, mm-hmm. and that we will be successful in the eyes of the world. Um, but, well, but it's, it's doing, it's doing what it's being at a good place where you're able to say, regardless of the circumstances, attendance up, attendance down, conflict or whatever, I'm, I'm doing what Jesus has called me to do. Right. And I'm, I'm just going to be faithful to him. Bottom line, I, I love that. Uh, I, I just, I just was really struck by, by his definition of that. And there was, um, uh, a place where I was going to quote your, uh, page, but I don't have your paper, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, but yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted you there. Was there anything more on the faithfulness part? Yeah, I, I think I think he would say that that God does bless the the faithful ordinary labors of his ministers of, of pastors. Um, so if, if more than likely, if you are faithful, um, there's going to be growth in your congregation. Maybe not numerically, but certainly the the people are going to be blessed. They're going to grow. Their their, their love for Christ is going to increase. So in, in most circumstances, if the pastor is faithful, then God is going to bless that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and even if it doesn't present itself in growth, the, the blessing can be just the uh, resilience that you're given as a pastor and, and the yeah. courage to keep pressing on and the uh, you know the the strength to not take things personally and to still love your enemy. I mean, I think those are the blessings that sometimes come in ministry. Um, one of the last things I want to talk about here as we wrap up here, uh, he 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 was not a big fan of uh, pastors uh, kind of being slack and lazy. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was a work hard uh, kind of guy. Um, you know, I'd rather. I'd rather burn out than rust out as I've heard someone else say before. Um, what were some of your reflections on that? And it, it, it did come from that verse again, where, you know, Paul talks about spending himself. Yeah. yeah from second Corinthians 12, 15, I think mm-hmm. it is. I will most gladly spend and, and be spent for your souls. Um, so yeah, for, for him, it, he had this notion of heroic ministry. Mm. So the, the pastor is following in the footsteps of Christ. Um, our time is short. We need to serve the Lord with, with all our heart um, so that on the day of judgment, when we come and give an account, uh, we'll be found faithful. Uh, we'll, our master will be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, so he, d- he definitely had that, that notion of uh, ministry as a high calling. Uh, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. And I think sometimes here in the 21st century, we look at that and, and it can be discouraging mm. um, because you're like, well, I'll never be like Jonathan Edwards. Um, I, I, I could never attain to that. And, and even Edwards was never able to, to attain to his own high ideals. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that, that he s- sometimes sunk into depression. So he was he was discouraged himself, but but I think I think the notion or the model there is good in that it's pointing us to Christ. You know, we or or the Apostle Paul. We want to serve. We we don't want to 
look back with regrets, thinking that, you know, we just kind of wasted away our time watching TV, watching sports, hunting or whatever. We, we want to, to, to know that we were faithful to the call of Christ. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, it's, it's very challenging. And, um, I hope it is for other pastors. Yeah. As well. Yeah. I think it will, um, it sure has been for me. How are you a better pastor from your studies of Edwards? Well, it, it helps me. He, Edwards is obviously, uh, he's a lot of things. We mentioned he's a theologian. He's a philosopher. He's a revivalist. But Edwards, the pastor, um, I see a man who is deeply committed to, to first of all, to preaching. Mm -hmm. You know, he spent so many hours every week preparing sermons. And it wasn't just Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. It was Sunday, you know, before they had the evening service, they had the afternoon service. And then it was, um, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday evening. They had another teaching time. Mm -hmm. And these were not short lessons. Um, so he was very committed to that, to, to teaching the congregation, to building up the congregation. He said that, that preaching is the pastor's main business. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's a reminder to me to keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To, to absolutely. focus on preaching and teaching, feeding the flock, but also, like you said before, um, prayer and, mm -hmm. and godliness and, and even his own devotional time. I mean, he would spend hours just studying the Bible, not mm -hmm. as it related to some sermon that he was teaching later on that week, but it was just his own personal Bible study. And, and I think that's important for, for every pastor that we're yeah. growing in our knowledge of the word yeah. week by week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's encourage church leaders to uh, make space for the pastor to be the preacher, you know, the one that brings the word and that, that being the, the main focus of his ministry. Um, well, this has been fascinating, Dan. You you suggested this podcast, and I thought, wow, this is this is unique, and I, I'd love to do it. And then you sent me. I think I joked with you when you sent me your thesis. I thought, oh man, whenever I read things like that, they're they're heavy, they're scholarly, they're kind of boring. But I could not put it down. I read it in probably two or three sittings. It was about 120 pages. Uh, I still encourage you to publish it. I know you're waiting to add more to it, uh, but uh, but it was excellent. And then I ended up buying the biography by Marsden, and I'm plotting through that. And uh, there's a real value in in studying men of the past, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for saying that, Mitch. Yeah. And if I could just make one recommendation, I mean, you mentioned the the biography by Marsden, the one that you've worked through. There's another great little biography by Steve Lawson. It's called The Unwavering Resolve of Jonathan Edwards. So instead of being like four or 500 pages, it's, it's more like 150 or 180 pages. Um, so that's a great little introduction to Edwards. Okay. And if you wanna read one book on that, that Edwards actually wrote, I think a great place to start would be Charity and Its Fruits, which is uh, an exposition of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And it is just, it's a wonderful book. And, and Edwards takes that chapter, 
I don't even think it's the whole chapter. Mm -hmm. And he, he takes like 30 sermons to work through first Corinthians 13. So yeah. that's, yeah. that's a great book to start if you're interested. Okay. I'll put those resources on the website as well. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Dan. This was great. Great conversation and look forward to chatting with you some more. Thanks so much, Mitch. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions about anything we've talked about today or other episodes, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until, so until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. <laughs>